Hello friends, um, today's message is being recorded in uh, Branson, Missouri. I'm not uh, preaching at any particular church this weekend, but I have been working on messages as I do every week. And this message is just titled, When All is Said and Done, Then What? I'm going to be taking a look at two different scriptures, one of them from Genesis chapter 50 and the other from Hebrews 11, both about Joseph. I'm going to take you back a long way. Uh, One of the very first prayers I learned was my bedtime prayer. I don't remember exactly how old I was when I first learned it, probably from my grandma and grandpa. But I know I was just a young boy, and over the years it's helped millions of children get ready for bed. And you probably know it by heart. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. It's that third line that always struck me as unusual, if I should die before I wake. seems kind of odd that little children in the springtime of life should mention death in their bedtime prayer. But if you think about it, it's not odd at all. I mean, death comes to all of us sooner or later, sometimes to children and sometimes in the night before we wake. Surprisingly, there is an art to dying well. The Puritans spoke of a dying grace, which is the special help God gives his children as they prepare to cross the final river. I suppose all of us are planning to live a long time, but these days you can never be sure. You know, that stray bullet, the out-of-control driver, the drunk driver, the renegade gang member, the sudden heart attack, the unexpected tumor. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? Any of us could be struck down at any moment. Ecclesiastes 9.12 says man does not know his time. No one knows what tomorrow may bring. In fact, as I sit here typing late at night for this sermon, I have my own list of things I need to do to complete our move into our new home in Missouri. Perhaps I'll get them done. Perhaps God has other plans for me. There are no guarantees that I will even be alive 24 hours from now. I might not even make it to the Super Bowl today. Let me ask you, how much longer do you expect to live? Now, everyone has an answer to that question, even if we don't want to say it out loud. If you're in your 20s, you probably expect to live at least 50 more years. If you are 50, you probably expect another 20 to 30. And if you are over 65, you certainly know that the sands of time are slipping away very quickly. But here's one mark of genuine Christianity, I think. When you come to the end of your life, you still hold on to what you believe. When someone dies suddenly, we all want to know um, what were his final words, what was on his mind as he was exiting this world. Did he leave any messages? Did he leave any final instructions? And we come now to the final moments of Joseph's life. And in order to set the scene, we need to know one crucial fact. Fifty years have passed since Joseph said to his brothers, You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. That half century is covered in just one sentence. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. Now, Joseph's final words are recorded in two places, Genesis 50 and Hebrews 11. And from looking at these two passages, I think we discover how faith shows itself at the end of life. In Genesis 50, verses 24 to 26, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. 
So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now twice Joseph says, God will visit you. Now this is faith at the very end of life. Though he was old and dying, Joseph saw past Egypt into the distant future. He knew that God would one day keep his promise and deliver the Israelites from Egypt and would give them a homeland of their own. Because he believed so firmly in that promise, he instructed the Israelites not to leave his bones in Egypt, but to make sure and carry his bones with them and bury them in the promised land. See, there was no earthly reason to expect this. I mean, from the outside, it appeared that the Jews would stay in Egypt forever. And that's how it seemed for many generations. Over time, Egypt grew comfortable to them, and the Jews grew wealthy in Egypt. But Joseph looked into the distant future and said, this is not the end of the story. Now, was Egypt good for them? Well, in a way, it saved them from destruction. Was Egypt good for them? Well, no, not if they stayed there forever. So how could Joseph be so sure about the future? Well, first he knew what God had promised to his great-grandfather Abraham in Genesis 12. And second, his own life proved that God keeps his promises. He knew that Israel didn't belong in Egypt, and he didn't want his bones staying in Egypt when the Jews left for Canaan. On the outside, he may have looked like an Egyptian, but on the inside, he was an Israelite. He never forgot who he was or where he came from. The Bible tells us that Moses took the bones with him when the Jews left Egypt. That's in Exodus 13. And years later, Joshua buried them at Shechem. That's in Joshua 24. There his bones rest in the dust of the earth to this very day. In Hebrews 11:22, it says, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now, we might think it's kind of unusual that the writer of Hebrews should highlight this moment out of all that Joseph experienced. And we might we might even want to say it some other way, like, by faith Joseph, when he was betrayed, he didn't become bitter. Or, by faith Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, didn't give in. Or, by faith Joseph, when he was forgotten in prison, did not turn away from God. Or, by faith Joseph, when he met his brothers, did not seek revenge. When we think of Joseph, these are the things we remember. But God saw his faith shining brightest in his final moments. He has something as great as his past exploits where he rose to the highest pinnacle of faith just before he died. In a sense, he was given a peek behind the curtain, and he saw what others could not see. He knew God would keep his promises. When he died, he was embalmed and put in a coffin in Egypt so that his bones would be a testimony to the coming generations. His children and grandchildren knew what sort of man he was. His descendants knew where he stood and what he stood for. So let's run the clock ahead a hundred years. Joseph had already been dead for a long time, and I want you to imagine a little Hebrew boy who hears all the stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. As he kind of takes it all in, he asks that one question that kind of weighs heavy on his heart, and that's, Mama, will we be in Egypt forever? And taking a moment to think, she brushes a tear away and says, Honey, look over there. Do you see that box? Yeah, I see it. What is it? It contains the bones of your great-grandfather, Joseph. Little boy walks over, eyes the box from top to bottom. Then his mama says, Sweetheart, what does it say? He looks at the side of the box and peers intently at the Hebrew letters. Then he reads it out loud. Bound for Canaan. Mama, what does that mean? 
Well, it means we won't be here forever. We're going home to Canaan someday, and we're taking these bones with us. Your great-grandpa told us not to leave him behind. He wants to be buried in the promised land. And so the bones of Joseph testified to coming generations that the people of God didn't belong in Egypt. They were there temporarily, but their real home was in Canaan. Now you do the math. He was 17 when he was sold to the Midianites and taken to Egypt. He died when he was 110 years old. So how long was he in Egypt? 93 years. Now despite the fact that he spent almost a century in Egypt, he never forgot who he was or where he came from. Joseph is saying, I I may be dying, but I believe that one day God will keep his promises. I want to be there when it happens, so don't leave me down here in Egypt. Bury me in the promised land. Now, what does this mean for us today? I mean, nothing of God dies when a man of God dies. We die, but the promises of God live on. They might bury us, but they don't bury God's promises with us. Your death cannot nullify God's faithfulness. Our God is the God of the future. He is the God of the generations to come. A servant whose master was dying was one time asked, How is your master? He is dying full of life, was the reply. I mean, what a grand thing to die full of life. That's exactly how Joseph died, full of life and full of faith. Now I want to wrap this up with three lessons for us for today. And the first lesson is this. The greatest thing you can do is to pass your faith along to your children and grandchildren. Abraham passed his faith to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, and Joseph gave his faith to the whole nation of Israel. You know, the Christian faith is not a sprint, and it's not really a marathon. It's really kind of a relay race, and I'm but one member of a team that stretches across the generations. I have faith because someone gave it to me, and someone gave it to the person who gave it to me, on and on the line goes, stretching back who knows how many years. My job is to make sure I pass my faith along to my own family. And as the years quickly pass, I now understand that passing my faith along is a work of a lifetime. It's never finished no matter how old I get. As I write this, it, it, it occurred to me that my number one job is just to make sure that I finish well. I owe it to my family, I owe it to my, my children, to my grandson and his wife, uh, to leave them an example of what it means to finish well. I don't want to run the race and then stumble and fall as I'm about to cross the finish line. Joseph finished well. I pray that I do the same. I pray that you do the same. Here's the second lesson. I think the saddest thing that can happen is to become bitter in your old age. We've all seen it happen to people we know. I mean, sometimes we've seen it happen to people very close to us. As they get older, they become bitter and angry and filled with resentment because life just didn't turn out the way they thought it would. I mean, Abraham had a promise from God, but he never saw it completely fulfilled. Isaac had the same promise, but he died without seeing it fulfilled. Jacob had the same promise, and he died in Egypt. Joseph had the same promise, but died in Egypt too. If ever anyone had the right to become bitter... It was probably those guys, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They lived and died with the promise unfulfilled, but to their credit, they never gave up hope. They never became bitter because they didn't see everything God promised come to pass before they died. Here's the third lesson. The happiest way to live is to realize that God's work is bigger than you are. Now, I may live many more years, 
I, I really don't know I'm in, and never see all that I dream about. I may pray for things that never come to pass. I may trust God for things that do not appear. I may struggle against great difficulty for many years. I mean, the way may be hard, the road steep, the path lonely. I may climb and climb and still never reach the summit of all that I set out to do. It may not be given to me to see everything I would like to see, but it is given to me to live faithfully day after day so that after I am gone, others may stand on my shoulders and yet prayerfully see things I never saw. This is a great goal, to have dreams so big they can't possibly be fulfilled in my lifetime. You see, God's plans are bigger than mine. I mean, my part is to live for God and to pass my faith along to my children and then to my grandchildren. I must live so that these things for which I am praying and those things I dream about may happen someday after I'm gone. In recent years, Psalm 100, verse 5, has become, I guess I'd call it very important to me because it ends with a wonderful promise. It says, His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, generations come and go one after the other. Only God remains forever. This is our hope at the edge of death. This is why we rejoice as we bury our dead. We need not fear death because a Christian is immortal until his work on earth is done. You cannot die and you will not die until God's appointed time for you finally arrives. Until then, yeah, you're immortal. See, the workers are buried, but the work goes on. The sower of the seed may die, but the seed remains. I do not know how far we have to go until we reach the end of our earthly road, but this I do know. That road is paved with God's love and faithfulness. Therefore, we need not be afraid. You see, we're just links in the chain of God's purposes. When we show up, God hooks us up with what comes before and what comes after. Joseph knew that. We are wise if we see that too. We all have a role to play in the unfolding of God's eternal plan. Like Joseph, most of us don't discover that role until later in life. Then we look back and say, no matter what happened to me, even the parts I still don't understand, God meant it all for good. Now I'm going to end where Joseph's, journeys, <clears throat> Joseph's journey ended with this great certainty. Death cannot exhaust the promises of God. That's why Paul could say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? <clears throat> now, a couple of years back, I heard this story. There were two soldiers um, who came up on an unexploded landmine. Later that night, one of them nearly passed out when he walked into the barracks and found his buddy resting his head on that same mine. Then he discovered that his buddy had removed the firing pin, rendering the landmine harmless. See, what had been an instrument of destruction had become a pillow for a weary soldier. Jesus has taken the sting out of death and given us victory over the grave. No wonder Joseph said, don't leave me down in Egypt, take my bones with you. He knew that a better day was coming for all the people of God, and that's why he didn't want to be left behind in Egypt. It would be a fine burial spot for a few centuries, but it was not meant to be Joseph's final resting place. Let me be clear about what this means for us. We need not fear death, because we know that death is not the end, but the beginning for the children of God. Friends, we're going to make it. God has willed it so. Did you get that? God has willed it so. We will all eventually go through the valley of the shadow of death. We will need a guide who can help us on that treacherous journey. We need someone who's been there before. Who can we get? 
Where can we get a guide like that? Well, his name is Jesus. He's been there before. He knows the way through. He's been to the light on the other side, and he'll come for us. Thank God we don't walk through that valley alone. Jesus will walk with us. He'll lead us through to the other side. You see, the saints of God have nothing to fear in that moment of death. Though it may not be pleasant or painless, though it come after long suffering or in a fiery crash, the moment itself will be filled with joy as the Lord himself escorts God's children through the darkest valley of all. At that moment, all other guides must turn back. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can help us through. And guess what? He does. So, my friends, cheer up. Cheer up. Smile through your tears. Death is the worst that can happen to us. But believe me, the best is yet to come. God bless. We'll talk to you again next Sunday.